I'm Troy. And I'm MC. And we host the best animated shows ever, so far. Where we watch, discuss, and rank every animated show ever, eventually. Listen in by searching for the best animated shows ever, so far, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or head to probablywork.com. Join the conversation by finding us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by searching Base SF Cast. That's B A S E S F C A S T. And don't change the channel. I am the bringer of life. I am the destroyer of the world. I reunite nations. I kill all who oppose me. I am a machine, but I feel pain. I am human, but I feel nothing. I'm death. I'm friendship. I'm mistrust. I'm forgiveness. I'm waiting. I'm longing. I am the heart. I am the soul. The harbinger of doom. The messenger of joy. Passion. Anger. Fate. Destiny. Friendship. Love. I am the RPG. I am the Golden Years! Hello, my lovely RPG Golden Years listeners, and welcome back to Bill and Rich as we take on the mighty beast that is the Final Fantasy VIII review. Yes, hello and welcome back, guys. I know you've missed us, uh, uh, unless unless you're a particular fan of my 20 minute update episodes I've been doing each week, which I don't think anyone is. The audio quality is awful, Rich. <laughs> hey, it's gonna be better now. Yeah, I know. Hopefully, this will be much much better for you guys now. But yes, it's me, and guess who else it is? It's Rich. It's Rich. Oh, it's Rich. I have to say, it's so much nicer podcasting with a friend. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I felt I bad for Rob because I kind of keep... messed up the Taviran one. Yeah, I know, but I'm I'm on a break from that as well. But you know, it's just um, yeah, it's just been held the last couple of weeks. It's just, uh, I mean, the lovely thing is, which you know, I'm sure all of our listeners are aware because they always listen to the lovely anchor adverts that you do, Rich. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> anchor, anchor is such a fantastic thing because I didn't I didn't want like the podcast feed to just go dead for a couple couple of weeks until we managed to sort out a recording time <laughs> or a schedule or a way to actually board. So it was just like, yeah, it was just a pain in the neck, basically. Yeah. But thankfully, Anchor is so good. It allows me just to record directly from my phone, as you probably just heard Rich say about 10 minutes before this. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I've been able to record just nice little update episodes just so that the feed wasn't going dead and then people start unsubscribing. Because I don't want people to unsubscribe because I love this show. And so do you, Rich. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm holding a knife to your throat. Tell, yeah. tell the people you love this song. <laughs> I, I love, I love, a, I love the show. Please stream. And me. what else? And what else do we love? We love Saga. Yeah, we love Saga. Yeah, Said no one ever. Um, yes. So, I, Rich, I did treat myself. <laughs> oh, what'd you do? Uh, some someone uh, someone sent me a uh, a PSN voucher. Oh, so nice. I treated myself to Saga Frontier Free. Uh, Saga Frontier Free. So, romancing Saga Free. Oh, you know, you could have waited to get a Switch for that. Yeah, I know, but I can just play it on the beta. I think it'll be a long time. Um, I think the thing is, I, I pointed out on the Discord server that uh, I've got a few fees that I need to pay for when the material lockdown comes around as well. Speaking that out of the out of like the funds that I've got saved up. <laughs> oh, okay. It's um, it's kind of like I was just like, oh man, it's still gonna be like four years at this rate until I get a switch. <laughs> Dang. So you know, I've got I've got uh, no not exactly four years, but it's gonna be a long time. Um, you know, counting my Patreon pennies. I still really want to get a Switch. I reckon I'll be able to get the Switch Pro or whatever it is when it comes out. Yeah, can, can we just, does somebody in the listener group just give him a Switch? If you've got a spare one. Yeah, if, guys, if you've got like 20 Switches lying around, you just don't know what to do with them. If you work for Nintendo Switch, you want to send me a Switch, I will play and review any Nintendo games you want me to. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, our listener base is strong. You know, not huge, strong. <laughs> like influence, at least. For, I can influence at least three people through this show. <laughs> One of them being rich. That's right. <laughs> uh, but yes. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to go too much into that, but that's really good fun. Uh, how are you doing with Ulanja at the moment? Um, pass. <laughs> pass. I haven't Come started on, yet. I keep... Okay, so we've got a break in games and stuff, and it's the holidays and a lot of games that came out on sale that I've, I've actually purchased, and I keep dabbling in a little bit here and there. So I know I will have to start this. Most likely, it won't be till the first of the year. First of the year, okay, okay. But uh, just I so you know, I'm, I'm, I've got it. I'm like ten hours into the game now. <laughs> so I'm technically I'm, I'm I'm about a quarter of the way there. Apparently, this is like forty hours longer now than speak. Oh dang! Which I found really really shocking. Um, but um, yes, you know, it's just one of those things. So, <laughs> uh, but it's really good fun. But also, it's really really fucking hard rich oh good i like that <laughs> uh yeah because it's it's like a zelda type platforming rpg yeah Def- definitely definitely the easiest way to describe this game is a zelda clone that's that's the most what it is like it's like playing a zelda game um but it's it's not a bad clone it's a really good clone uh, i've even had people on twitter tell me that this is better than most zelda games so you've got that <laughs> but uh but yes um I'm, I'm absolutely loving it the puzzles are hard platforming's hard but it's it's good it's good it's a nice pa- palette cleanser and romancing saga 3 is great because i know you bought that as well rich this isn't just me being like a saga head like it's actually it's actually a really good game <laughs> yeah i'm sure you i'm just hoping i I'm just hoping when I get to a boss, it doesn't crush my spirit like Saga did. <laughs> oh, it will. It will. Uh, I'm, hope- I'm hoping not. But yeah, it, it's it's really good fun. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Alandra. We're not here to talk about Romantic Saga 3. Maybe just a little bit. We're here to talk about the PlayStation 1 classic, the Final Fantasy 8. Um, right, so what I've realised is, Rich, uh, in my lovely document that you are currently looking at, uh, I didn't actually update when the game was released. <laughs> so, so the game was released in North America. I normally do like how many days ago it was, which is a shame. I thought but, it was um, February 11, 1999. Yeah, February 11, 1999. In Japan, it was released in February 11, 1999. And then we had to wait several several months till September 9th for you guys in North America to get it. And then another month on top of that for me in Europe to get it. 
in on the 27th of October. And yeah. I was standing there. I was standing outside my, my local game shop waiting to get in to buy it at midnight because I was hooked by this point on Final Fantasy games and I really wanted it. And as you can see, in Australia, they got it two days later. I assume it must be like a national holiday or something. Probably. Because <laughs> I, think, I think they have the same power stuff that we have over here. So uh, so officially, it is 20 years old if you go by the by the Japanese count. And obviously, we've only got two months till February the 11th. It's it's almost 21 years old. Yeah. Squall can nearly drink. That's right. It can so, drink. <laughs> so hopefully this bit will go well, Rich, because you know what we usually like to do when these games were released. We like to see what was number one in the US and the UK when it was released. That's right. So tell you what, so, let's figure out what your crazy country's number one hit was. My yeah. crazy country. Oh, we're doing we're doing UK first. Yeah. Now gonna, I think this is a, I think this is a good one. Yeah, we're gonna do UK first. All right. So hit play. Am I the right one? I no, I'm just I making sure think... I got the right one. Hang on. I got That's this. right. I don't think I'll be able to hear it. That's all. <laughs> I got this. It's playing right now. So Lubega Mambo number five was your guys' number uh, one. Yeah, I can't. I can't hear the audio sadly. But one, two, three, four, five. street on the corner. You know you really don't wanna. So I can just sing it to myself. I know this song really well. Yeah, everyone. Mambo does. number five. <laughs> I love. I love Mambo number five. <laughs> <laughs> it's cheesy, cheesy as hell, but it's, it's a great song. That's right. Uh, so, what what are you guys up to? What are you listening to, Rich? Well, we were listening to something I don't even remember, but Enrique Iglesias's Balladino. <laughs> oh yeah, I vaguely remember this. I think it's got Sean Paul in it, if I remember rightly. Yes, you got Sean Paul, December Bino, Genta Di Zona. <laughs> yeah, lo- loads of people. Uh, if you're a fan of Enrique Iglesias, if you like men with a giant mole on their cheek. And this is a song for you. <laughs> I mean, some of these is pretty good. Yeah, uh, that's about that's about all I know about Enrique Iglesias. Uh, okay, let's move on then, Rich. We're finally going to speak Final Fantasy VIII. Let's move on into the history of the game. Final Fantasy VIII is the eighth installment, funnily enough, <laughs> in the Final Fantasy series. And no. it was developed and published. Yeah, it was. And it was developed and published by this tiny, tiny, tiny company called Squaresoft, which no one's ever heard of before. And yet it was released back in 1999 for the PlayStation 1, uh, or just the PlayStation, as it was called back then. Uh, it's since been re-released on Microsoft Windows in 2000. Uh, and this version was the one that they then ported to Steam in 
2013, and we've spoken about this in the past in great length about how they uh, they deleted all their source material <laughs> or a lot of the source material. Yep. Uh, so it was a Steam version that was then uh, remastered as a re-release in September 3rd, 2019 for Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox Bone One, and the PC via Steam. Oops. Uh, did I not release it on GOG? They released it on what? On GOG. GOG. Nope. Do you know GOG? What the hell is GOG? <laughs> oh, it's, it's just like, a, you know, you can't just have one person doing, you can't just have one company doing something, you have to have some sort of competition. So GOG is like the alternative version of Steam. Nope. 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 Okay. Nope. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry. It's just, obviously, I didn't put it down in my notes. It mustn't be. Uh, I, assume, I assume it will be on GOG. Probably. Who knows? They definitely have the original version on there. Um, so development began back in 1997. Uh, during the English localization of Final Fantasy VII. Uh, the game builds on the visual changes which Final Fantasy VII introduced, uh, moving from 2D to 3D graphics on pre-rendered backgrounds, uh, but it also departed from many of Final Fantasy's traditions. So this is kind of where it really started to break away from the norm. Like, Seven was a huge change from the old-style games, which were more of a fantasy-style setting. Seven went a bit more futuristic, but kind of didn't go too far. You know, you only really had... Um, the metropolis of Midgar in there, uh, but this one went balls out <laughs> uh, and went into a proper sci-fi type game. Um, so it wasn't just a sequel to Final Fantasy VII. It tore apart and it kind of tried to reimagine the series uh, and the mechanics to a degree which we haven't actually seen since Final Fantasy II, which is everybody's favourite Final Fantasy game, and uh, the honorary saga game as well, because this because Final Fantasy II was kind of the battle system and everything was um, put together by the bloke and then went on to make Saga, which Quasu, whatever his name was. Well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Yeah, so kind of a lot a lot of Saga fans actually kind of count Final Fantasy 2 as the first Saga game. Nah. Because it was his... Because he put in a lot of the mechanics. But also, a lot of Final Fantasy fans think it's the most broken game in the series. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Quasu, what a guy. <laughs> so uh, instead of going and buying weapons from stores, you got to craft them through recipes that you find in magazines. Uh, that, uh, if Cell had the magazine first, might have been stuck together. Um, Ew. <laughs> Ooh, Cell. Oh, you got hot dog juice everywhere. Um, <laughs> and instead of powering up your characters through levels, uh, you were supposed to boost your stats by equipping magical spells. Instead of gaining those spells through books or crystals, you had to steal them from enemies by the draw system. Uh, instead of having blocks for hands, your characters had real life bodies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they went hyper realistic. Um, those strange ideas were um, delivered alongside the most modern Final Fantasy world that we've seen so far today in 1999. Um, so there was a land full of huge robots. There were big armies that were warring against each other. Students are all mercenaries, whatever that's all about. Um, because uh, other Final Fantasy games had included sci-fi elements, like you know, like I said, Midgar was quite uh, sci-fi-esque, although very like dystopian type sci-fi um final fantasy 6 was very steampunk you know you had the the weird wow ship took you to the moon in final fantasy 4 they had kind of explored the ideas of uh, a sci-fi universe but final fantasy 8 was the one where they were just like yep pulls out this is going to be very very different yeah so you know this is like going from kin to azimuth basically <laughs> and uh yeah it felt like that when you played it <laughs> yeah that's true um but yeah so you know, you could put it in one way as well. Most of the first seven protagonists in Final Fantasy VII use swords. And um, 
the protagonist of Final Fantasy VIII used a sword gun. <laughs> Combo. Combo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Very, very strange. So, and while it still uses the uh, active time battle system, it also um, deviates from the series by traditional means of boosting characters via leveling. Although, you know, levels are not completely abandoned as they were in Final Fantasy II. Um, in addition, uh, you get, you don't have MP or a magic point based system in spellcasting. Instead, you just have to collect your drawn magic from, uh, that you can craft or you can get from power points or you can steal from enemies. Um, and use those via the junction system. So, you know, if you've got 100 cures and you use one, you've got 99 cures. I've got 99 cures, but the bitch is still dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and <clears throat> so, Final Fantasy VIII, it was developed by uh, Yotori Katase and Tetsuro Nomura. Um, uh, and Tetsuro Nomura providing the character design and Ubu Matsu uh, composed the musical score. Uh, it is the first game in the series as well to uh, consistently use realistically proportioned characters because they kind of went backwards a step with uh, Final Fantasy IX, making them a bit more unrealistic and cheesy. Um, and it was the first to feature a vocal piece as its main theme in the form of Eyes on Me. So, yeah, so all the other games had a theme song, in a way, uh, but this was the, uh, a theme tune, but this was the first game to have a theme song. Uh, 13, 13 weeks after its release, Final Fantasy VIII had earned more than $50 million from sales in the United States. Dang. Dang. In 1999, man, that is obscenity amount of money. $50 million from sales. Uh, that's how much it earned. It's crazy. And at the time, that made it the fastest selling. Uh, selling? <laughs> there's, there's, my bad, there's my bad spelling. Uh, fastest selling Final Fantasy title of all time at that time. <laughs> um, and Final Fantasy VIII went on to become one of the biggest selling games in the series. Uh, and the game has shipped 9.6 million copies uh, worldwide out of, as of August 20th, 2019. So I think, uh, hang on, let me just double check. When did that come out on the Switch? So it came out on the Switch September 3rd. So that stat is from before it was re-released and remastered on the Switch. Uh, so it's pretty got, high now. Yeah, I imagine it's even more. So I imagine it's finally pushed past the 10 million mark. Now, uh, I've got a little uh, screenshot there of uh, some information I found. Uh, this is a year old, so it's not quite up to date. But this is the top five selling Final Fantasy games as of last year. So at number one, you've got Final Fantasy VII with 11 million copies, Final Fantasy X with 9 million copies. So I assume that's also been boosted. Uh, because of the um, uh, the, remar- uh, the remaster of ten and ten two, uh, and also Final Fantasy and also Final Fantasy seven was re released on the Switch, so that's probably gone up as well from its eleven million. And then there at number three, Final Fantasy eight with nine million sales. Dang. And then Final Fantasy thirteen with seven million, and Final Fantasy fifteen with seven million as well. Now obviously Final Fantasy thirteen and fifteen, we've got a few years to catch up on, <laughs> so they, yeah. they may catch up, but yeah. I was quite surprised to find that, considering the amount of shit this game gets online, uh, Final Fantasy VIII is still the third best-selling Final Fantasy game ever. Yeah, I mean, I agree with it. Yeah, I mean, do you think? Do you feel like it holds up? Yeah. I mean, what, what was your? What, I mean, because I know we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but we lost the audio. Um, what was your? What was your experience with? What was your first experience with Final Fantasy VIII? Which... My first experience with Final Fantasy VIII, blah, blah, blah. Final Fantasy VIII blah, blah, blah. was. Um, <laughs> at a friend's house who I mean this was technically my first Final Fantasy game. So Oh wow. Yeah. Um I had Was this your first RPG? Yeah. 
Oh, excellent. So there we go. That's why you like it so much. Yeah, this is my first one. I really enjoyed all the time I spent to it. A lot of training. I mean, I had no idea what was going on with the whole thing. So I'm like, all right, we're just going to hit stuff. And then I finally got into like what needed to be done with it. And it was pretty nice. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely... Uh, <laughs> I, I would say this is the most saga-like a game in the Final Fantasy series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of had um, not, not the same sort of experience as you because my first game was... Uh, Final, my first RPG was Final Fantasy VII. And then, like I said, I kind of branched off and played a few other games um, like Grand, Grand, Grandier and Wild Arms. And uh, I, I must have played Ulanja as well because I found it in my cupboard the other day, which would be a one. <laughs> so I bought that game at some point. <laughs> I didn't even know I had it. Dang. Um, but yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> things you things you find, eh? Uh, so yeah, uh, I, so I went off and played these games, but I couldn't remember the date order. But I remember on our Grandia review, uh, I me- I mentioned the fact that Grandia came out in Europe after Final Fantasy VIII, and I definitely got Final Fantasy VIII on its release in Europe. So I played Final Fantasy VIII before I played those games, and yeah, it was um, it was crazy. I loved I loved it because of the graphics. I fell in love with the look of the game. I thought the characters looked awesome. The world, I kind of felt, I always felt the world map was a bit drab. I didn't like it as much. And yeah, um, I'll, get that. That, I'll get to that later on as well, because there's huge parts of the world, because normally with a Final Fantasy game, it holds your hand around the entire world before giving you like a couple of small little snippets that you couldn't get to and you can find it with an airship type. Mm-hmm. Like um, I'll use... I, I'll use seven examples because it's fresh in my mind. Like, say, the Kokobo Sage or the tiny island in the top right-hand corner where you can go get knights and around if you've got a golden chocobo. And it's like there are a few, like, little nuggets dotted around the world. But I realised when I got to the end game of Final Fantasy VIII this time round, there was huge sections where the game actually didn't require you to go to these places as part of the plot because I kind of just bashed through the story on this. I, I really just, like, I was like, yeah, I just want to experience this as a story game. And yeah, like I never went to that ice place up north. I can't remember what it's called now. But there's a little, there's a town up north. There's no need to go to that town during the plot. And then there's like a whole green forested continent in the northwest corner, uh, northeast corner of the map, which you just never had to go to. Yeah. And I was a bit like, this area looks really nice. <laughs> and it's just like, if I wasn't flying around randomly, I wouldn't find it. And I don't think there's anything here other than random encounters. <laughs> There's like no plot reason to go there or like subplot or side quest. It was just like, you probably go there on that weird alien side quest. But again, you know, who's doing, who, who actually does that side quest, honestly? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that's, that's me getting slightly distracted. But yeah, I played this game on release and I absolutely fell in love with it, but it kicked the living shit out of me, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think, uh, again, I've spoken about it many times on the podcast before. I struggled so much with every time I got into a boss fight that I couldn't beat. I would go out, I would grind, I would draw. I think that's pretty the only reason I got through the game. So I, I was aware of the fact that I needed more magic <laughs> to boost my stats a little bit. But I would still grind levels, um, thinking that would help as well. And I somehow managed to get all the way to the final boss. And then I got absolutely lucky with the fact that I had never used Selfie or Irvine once during my gameplay of Final Fantasy VIII. I just found them really like null and void characters hmm. on my first yeah, I know, I know, I know. Because this time around, Irvine was one of my favourite characters to use in battle. <laughs> he had but, a gun. It's awesome. Yeah, he had a gun, and his limit break is awesome as well. But uh, yeah, I kind of had that thing where it's just like, right, okay, um, 
these, you know, I didn't, I didn't like these characters much. I think I didn't play around with Zell much either. I just liked having Renoa and Quistis because Quistis has a whip, and Renoa fires a dog. Uh, Renoa sticks a fist up a dog's bum and fires it off in uh, enemies. Like, what's not to like? Uh, <laughs> hmm, BDSM in Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, That's right. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, uh, getting distracted there. Um, so, I just got so lucky with the fact that like my squall, I think, was like level. 60 or 70 ish and then uh the game you know you start the final battle it picks three random characters and i had squall and i had a level i had like a level 10 character either side of him which brought the carrot which brought the end bosses level right down to like into it must be like the 20s or 30s and squall just demolished them <laughs> so all right cast aura on squall and, and hit away but anyway uh, that was my first experience. So I think I just got RNG lucky with fin- finishing that final boss. But I remember trying against that final boss at least like 15, 20 times and just getting decimated. And then suddenly having like, I remember starting it and going, oh no, not these two idiots. And then she just like, <laughs> and then just like one shot her and she was dead. Like, oh, that's was, that was weird. <laughs> and that was the first time on the final boss that I got an inkling that something must be affecting their levels. Anyway. <sighs> anyway, anyway. Uh, so I've got some I've got some notes here on some interviews with uh, uh, Katase and uh, Nomura Rich. Uh, so in an interview that Katase did, uh, he said, from the start, our principal objective of Final Fantasy VIII was to tell a story that revolved around two characters, Squall and Renoa. Uh, up to now, the Final Fantasy games had featured um, a large ensemble and oh excuse me, sorry, we really need to sneeze. <laughs> That's why I kept pausing. Uh, had the large ensemble cast and a story balance between um, the different characters uh, who each had their own individual dramas. Uh, but this time around, they were serious. Uh, we were serious about using sub characters specifically to prop up the story of the hero and heroine, or in the case of Quistis, make a confusing love trial that didn't, triangle that didn't actually exist. Hmm. <laughs> uh, in the beginning of the development, uh, Namora had an idea for a neat conclusion to the Squall and uh, Laguna stories. But in a way that uh, in a way that would tie them together. But somewhere along the way, that idea got dropped and forgotten entirely. And he laughs. Now, um, did you know, Rich, that Laguna is Squall's dad? No, but I had a feeling in that to who it was. <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of that's what ties it all together with the fact that. Um, so you know, we'll get into a lot of this later. But there's a whole thing with um, being able to go back into other people's past memories. And like relive those memories, but you have to have a tie to that person. And school's always going back through Laguna's things. And there's like, there's basically, um, there's two conversations that happen in the game. There's one with Kiros and Ward when they're on, um, when they're in Esther, and there's one with them when they're on, um, when they're on your ship, the Ragnarok, towards the end of the game, where they just uh, the two small hints that Laguna is your dad and your mum is Rain. Okay. And so Elone is Squall's half-sister. So because Laguna is not Elone's dad, but Rain is her mum. Rain is also Squall's mum, but Laguna is his dad. Yeah, That's supposed to be the thing. And he laughs in this interview saying, oh, yeah, we kind of forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was part of the story, but we just forgot about it. Uh, yeah, so I found that very interesting because a lot of the story in this game... It's kind of what lets it down. Uh, well, not even, not even the story. The story is actually quite good, but it's just the delivery of the story, especially in the first two discs, a bit lacking. But, uh, but yeah, so I've got some. I've got another bit here from uh, Nojima. 
uh, in creating a basic outline of the story, the whole staff would bring me their ideas, pointing out how they wanted this part uh, to have such and such atmosphere and mood in this way. And in this way, uh, we collaboratively built up the story. Uh, it was funny. Uh, the first ideas they bought tended to be extremely detailed with regard to little things. Uh, I had the overall plot structure worked out. The people would bring me these very specific sections, uh, little things they wanted to see. I changed some small bits here and there, but I don't really remember the details. Uh, what's hard about writing a story for a game is that if you want to make it a, as interesting as possible, there will come a time when the story you originally wrote gets in the way. Uh, what uh, my feeling my feeling was that if a change would ultimately be for the best then we shouldn't hesitate to alter the original plans uh, i also wanted ff8 to focus more on the present not the past and for the emotional weight to come from what happens as the plot unfolds not in flashbacks like in final fantasy 7 <laughs> so basically he went completely off piste no <laughs> yes yes he did right uh let's get in Let's get into the game of this then, Rich. So those are my little snippets from the history and a few little uh, bits taken from interviews. Uh, let's talk about the setting of the game. setting rich the world of final fantasy 8 has no name did you pick up a name while you were playing it yeah i didn't that's kind of weird yeah yeah it's, you know it uh the planet in final fantasy 7 is called gaia um i don't think they always name the planet so i know i know it was called earth in final fantasy 4 but I'm, i can't i couldn't tell you about final fantasy 6 or final fantasy um 5 if they specifically named what the planet was called uh so you know it's not that unusual uh, but it was it was occasionally referred to as the Earth or the planet in dialogue in some information um, in some informational sections. Uh, in, in the information section, uh, we'll talk about the so in, in, I'll rant about it in a later episode. <laughs> the information section. I already ranted to you about that before you know, in our lost episode, but I'll come back to that. Um, so it serves. Um, Ah, it's it's a, it's as ah, so it's as it's as diverse as is large. It's composed of four large continents and one small continent, uh, along with several islands of varying sizes. The overall architecture was designed to be like Western European themes in mind, and I kind of get that. There's a lot of places which are very like Italian, French, and and like Germanic, um, and many of the structures can be linked back to modern real-world buildings and locations that are both real and uh, theatrical. So uh, you know the uh, so you know the place where the assassination takes place, Rich. That's very much like the Arc de Triomphe in France. Yeah, and they kind of kind of squeezed a lot of those type of places into this game, uh, and I really liked that. It made it, it did give it a real world feel to it. 
Um, you can tra uh, travel across the world is facilitated mainly by trains and cars that seem to just run at no time whatsoever, <laughs> because uh, and because of worldwide radio interference, communications across the world is suppressed, and no worldwide communication network exists. There are instead uh, local networks like the Balam Garden intranet, and there's a HD cable used by Galvadia. Uh, you know, what they're using it for, nobody really understands. Uh, and there's a, there's a derelict <laughs> radio tower uh, from a time before the radio interference engulfed the world, uh, and it remains derelict near Dolit. And the world's favourite pastime is the trading card game called Triple Triad. So these are all the sorts of things which the, it would have been quite important to know at some point in the early part of the game. <laughs> yeah, agreed. It's just like, you know, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, this weird thing happened 20 years ago and there was worldwide radio interference. Now we can't communicate with each other properly. But, you know, the game doesn't tell you that. <laughs> it's quite our saga frontier episode. Uh, so civilization is fragmented into small city-states uh, and other autonomous groups. There are two big nation-states, uh, Galbadia and Estar, and they went to war two decades ago uh, in a bid for world domination. Uh, both wanting to unite the autonomous groups under their banners. Uh, the war became known as the Sorceress's War, uh, named after the S, uh, the Estar leader, Sorceress Adele, and a member of the um, uh, a member of the seclusive rank of sorceresses. Now, sorceresses are women who naturally wield magic. Sorceries are both renowned and feared for their powers, and legends state they inherited their magic from the god Hine, who is said to have been who is said to have created the world and the people. No one is born a sorceress, but when a sorceress dies, they pass on their sorceress power to someone else. And thus, and thus the exact numbers and identities of sorceresses in the world are unknown. Again, Rich, this is all information that would have been really great if it could have yeah. been given to us at the beginning of the game. Yeah, no one told Cause, anything. Because su suddenly you're hearing all this stuff. It's just like, oh, okay, now this bit makes sense. Now this bit makes sense. Like, the first time, first time sorceress Edea pops up in the game, you're just like, what? There are sorceresses? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what? Anyway, uh, so the Horizon Bridge uh, connecting Galbadia and Estar was abandoned when hostilities began. So there's this enormous bridge. Like you can't, they're, they're, like, I can't understand why they built this bridge where they did reach. Like the cost of it must have been phenomenal. Like there are so many places. Like you could have put the bridge going to Galbadia uh, and then not to Galbadia to Balan, and then from Balan over to Estar, and it would have cost you a fraction of the price. Because yeah. it would have been like a tenth of the size, but no, they built the bridge across the biggest gap of the con in the water between the two continents. Yeah. Anyway, I know I'm not part of the S star planning committee, so I could have saved them a lot of money. There. <laughs> <laughs> this all looks um, right. I know, I know. Um, so apart uh, apart from the the middle part of the bridge, which uh, a group of engineers from S star made their home, and that was called Fisherman's Horizon, uh, and Galbadia conquered uh, a town called Timber. Uh, before the war could escalate into a full-scale war, however, uh, Estar isolated itself and shut its borders. With rumours circling, Adele had passed on her powers. Uh, Galbadia was left reigning in the Galbadian continent, of course, uh, but the war had taken its toll on the populace and many children were left orphans. Now, one thing I put in here that they didn't mention during this part was about the lunar cry. Yeah. Because at some point, they, uh, Estar and Adele used the lunar cry against Tiberia. Uh, which is like a northern state. Uh, but I didn't really mention... <laughs> it's like, again, this bit's confusing because they don't really mention when this actually happened. So this is the information that I found. So the game gives conflicting information on when exactly uh, Centra, which is 
a central continent in the south area was destroyed by the lunar cry. The information section in the menu says 80 years, but uh, the operator in the lunar base says it happened over 100 years ago. Uh, the lunar cry annihilated the central civilization and wiped it from the world map. Now, a lunar cry is when uh, a ton of monsters gather at one point on the moon to the point where it gets close enough to the Earth that gravity of Earth then pulls these monsters down and they basically hit the Earth, creating like a huge, it's like being hit by a meteor, but it's a load of monsters that then go out and populate the Earth. Uh, it is said that when the lunatic Pandora, which was built by Esther under Adele's rule, uh, <clears throat> is in alignment with the moon and the lunar cry can be performed. So basically, they built a way of making their own vessel to create a lunar cry. Uh, and likely it was used in it and it was wanted to be used as a weapon in the Sorceress's War. And the only known incident of the Lunatic Pandora having been used to induce a lunar cry, Bill's Rule, and occurred in the Trebia region. So when you go to Trebia Garden, behind Trebia is a huge crater. And now you think that was the uh, the manual lunar cry that Adele did. Now, according to the Final Fantasy VIII Ultimacia, uh, the cycle began 10,000 years ago, uh, tens of thousands of years ago. Yep. Uh, a product of gravity and the phenomenon is similar to the pull on the tides when the moon's surface reaches saturation with the point of monsters. It spills and falls to the planet and can destroy entire nations. The natural flora and fauna can change drastically. And it is also mentions that creatures can undergo change by being, by being in touch with monsters of the moon. According to the controller in the lunar base, monsters' behavior becomes normal when uh, when there are irregularities in the moon and the planet's gravitational forces, making them cluster at one point on the moon, ready to fall to the planet. Now, the world is still reeling from the aftereffects of this war between Estar and Galbadia, and Estar has remained closed off to the rest of the world. And the mysterious radio interference, which started around this time as well, uh, filling all frequencies with noise, rendering all the technology useless. Uh, this new phenomenon, which uh, whose origin could not be discerned, uh, further isolated the different nations who could only transmit long-distance messages via physical cables. They get frequently compromised by political strife and monsters. Uh, now, finally, I'm almost at the end here, Richard. <laughs> A new military power has risen to prom uh, prominence, which is the Garden which was built 12 years ago by a guy called Sid. Uh, and this is Balam Garden. And it trains primarily forces who can wield a power that imitates the power of a source. Now, again, this is this sort of thing. Like, I don't ever remember seeing this mentioned in the game. Something called paramagic. Paramagic by guardian forces. Uh, this is based on a technology that was developed in Estar. Balam Garden is the only organization in the world to use GFs, guardian forces, which are summonable monsters, um, whose use is rumoured to have negative side effects, although <clears throat> although the Garden insists otherwise. So they're lying to us, Rich. <laughs> yeah, and it hasn't been proven yet that that actually causes any side effects. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but apparently it does. <laughs> uh, those those who graduate from the Academy become seeds, uh, who are contracted around who are contracted around the world as mercenaries and take on various mis missions. Uh, two sister gardens were also constructed in Balam's Wake. Uh, although, they although they cooperate with their students, they often take classes uh, in other gardens or become transfer students. They do not train seeds. Tiberia Garden serves as a military academy for the remote nation of Tiberia, which doesn't seem to have any towns or places you mm -hmm. can go other than the garden. <laughs> and Galbadia Garden focuses on weapon development. The only garden to use guns and training officers for the G Army, the Galbadian Army. And that's the setting, Rich. That's all the background information you know, you want to know before you start playing the game. 
Yeah. Because other than that, <laughs> you don't know crap. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there. But once you've got that information, and if the game was to give you that information before you start, it would all make a lot more sense. But Correct. Rich, that's going to round us up for today. It will. Well, hopefully, yeah, I've, I've got a feeling it's going to be a three-parter. I yeah. think we're going to have a lot to talk about when it comes to gameplay. <laughs> and then we're going to have lots to talk about when it comes to the plot. So, yeah, next, we'll hopefully meet up next week, Rich, and we'll do a whole section on the gameplay here. And then, yeah, and then we'll do the plot the week after. So, yeah. guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it's turned out okay. And, um, yeah, you know, if you want to get if you want to get in touch with myself and Rich, contact us at RPG Years. We are still alive and strong. Uh, oh, so that's on Twitter. You can contact me at Metunica, M-E-T-U-N-I-C-A. And me at Hailblue1569. Cool. Uh, and you can email us at RPGGY1 at gmail.com. Uh, if you've got any questions, uh, or you can join us on the Discord. Links below. Point down, Rich. Yeah, you're I'm you're you're the person recording now, so you've got to point down. I'm pointing down. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, so you know, there's lots of information below, and uh, yeah, uh, look forward to our next part of review for Final Fantasy VIII Part Two. Part Two. The Junction System. The Junction Nightmare. <laughs> All right, Rich, I've got to go jump up a hill in a laundry. It's probably going to take me four hours. Yes. <laughs> see everybody later. I'll see you later. See you later. Thank you for listening. RPG The Golden Years is produced by Bill and Rich. You can find them on Twitter at RPG Years. You can also contact Bill at Matunica and Rich at Hailu1569. You can also find them on Patreon by searching RPG Golden Years. And as always, please show these gentlemen some love by rating and reviewing their show wherever you receive your podcast feed. And now is the time that our heroic duo check in at the local inn to replenish their HP. Good night, gentlemen.
Are you a fan of high fantasy epic book series that are converted into television series? No, not that one. I mean an epic book series that is actually complete. I am referring to The Wheel of Time, Robert Jordan's fantasy masterpiece that was completed posthumously by Brandon Sanderson. Well, I have the perfect podcast for you. The Taveren is a Wheel of Time podcast where three gentlemen go through the series one chapter at a time. In their own special way. Follow along as Bill, Rob, and Rich re-experience this great epic. Experience for yourself a world full of vibrant locations, colorful characters, and storylines that will never fail to surprise. Visit a world that Game of Thrones can only wish was as fleshed out and complete. The Taveren, a Wheel of Time podcast, is part of the We Can Make This Work Probably network of podcasts. Find our podcast wherever you get your podcast feed, or visit probablywork.com for episodes of this podcast and other great shows. We will see you at the Wine Spring Inn. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at ProbablyWork for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com.